so I've been reading a lot this week, and one of the things that I keep reading is that history repeats itself. History repeats itself. It repeats itself. There were, have been difficult times along the way where um, there have been uh, plagues and famines and the like, uh, not only in our nation but worldwide, and that this is kind of one of those times where we don't really know what's uh, going on, but uh, here we are. We're kind of in a, in a new day, and yet this type of thing has happened before. Well, one of the things that has repeated itself for 2,000 years is Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday is the beginning of really the most important week in a Christian calendar, hands down. Um, there's nothing that can compare to um, this week in the life of a believer. So again, um, this is service is different because of how we're doing it. And I'm getting kind of, I'd, I'd like to see some folks. It'd be good to have a full house. It's a little different. You've got to give our worship team a lot of credit for getting up here and singing to, you know, an empty house. That's just a little bit different feeling. But uh, this is the Lord's Day. And uh, we're here for the fellowship of the saints, even if we have to do it online and apart from each other. Today we celebrate so- uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, again, uh, it's part of the Christian calendar. And just in case you're not familiar with Palm Sunday, it's the week previous to the crucifixion of Jesus. It is the one time that Jesus allowed people to worship him um, previous to his crucifixion. We actually read in the book of Luke about people throwing palm branches, hence the palm branches that we have here. Throwing palm branches in the street and throwing their cloaks or their coats or their outer garments, throwing them in the street as Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now, a couple of years ago, I shared part of this message before, but I just felt it was pretty, uh, pretty appropriate um, People were worshiping Jesus during this triumphal entry. Um, For Jesus, this begins the week of the, it's called the Passion or the Crucifixion. Now, um, if it's not for the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then our faith, our hope, um, it's really, it's all in vain. If not for the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection, then this is nothing more than than empty religion. And I can tell you there have been other men and women throughout time who have given their life for people and Jesus would be no different for them but for the resurrection. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's not about his death. He did pay the price for us. Certainly that is, that's what we're celebrating. But he is the only one who came back from the dead. The Bible calls him the first uh, of first of many brethren. So he's the first one, and I believe that we have life after death because of Jesus, and he paid the, the ultimate sacrifice. As I've said before, this week takes up a, a disproportionate amount of space in all four of the Gospels. Um, really, the, the Gospels record 33 years of Jesus' life. Three of those years were his ministry, and yet one week takes up almost a quarter of the book of Mark and almost half of the book of John. Uh, In this week, um, so many of the parables, so many of the stories, so many of the things that we read, we find in this week previous to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, It was this week where Jesus taught about his authority. If we've heard the talents of the parables, the, the parables of the talents, I'm sorry, that's a little backwards, 
Um, it, about paying taxes to Caesar, about marriage and resurrection, about the great commandment, about the widow's might or the offering, signs of the time, the seven woes, no man knows the day or the hour, ten virgins, the parable of the talents, we, uh, who are the sheep and, and who are the goats. All of that came this last week before Jesus was crucified. So a huge portion of the gospel takes place right here. And once again, this is the only time when Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. So since the very beginning of human history, the Bible talks about sin as a capital offense. When Adam sinned, um, God told him, don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. If you do, if you eat of that, it's going to bring death. That's the first time death is, is mentioned, comes into play. It's, it's a capital sin. It's, it's a crime that is punishable by death. And that's the only way that it can be atoned for. So at first, God in his grace gives animals as a substitute to die in our place, which is really quite amazing if you think about it. I I guess I've never really pondered it, but um, all record really of animals previous to sin and previous to the ark, you know, there there was not this great um, animal even killing animal. They're all vegetarians. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other time, so I'll stop. But it's a, it was a whole different time. And anyhow, somebody had to die. So the New Testament tells us that God gave his son as the final and ultimate sacrifice for people, one for all. It's the end of the story of the sacrificial system. Um, that's really what Jesus brought about. It's, there's an old song called the uh, the end of the, the the end of the beginning, um, the, the beginning of the end. It's, it came on Palm Sunday. It, this is the the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and and the crowds cheered him uh, on one side of the city. On the other side of the city, there was another parade that was going on. Caesar was coming in. There was other things going on. Roman officials were having their own parade, and yet here Jesus is being welcomed as the King of Kings and. And people presumed that at this point in time, Jesus was going to, to start a new governance, a new, a new realm of leadership, that he was going to be the king. He was going to set them free from Roman occupation. He's going to set them free from the oppression that took place. There was, the, the presumption was that there's going to be a new earthly kingdom, and Jesus is going to be the king of that kingdom. And we're all going to be his servants. That's, that's how this is. They presume this is going to take place. And yet what Jesus did was instead of doing a temporary earthly kingdom, he set up a new eternal kingdom. Something that the people did not understand. Instead of just being earthly freedom or salvation for Israel, this is eternal salvation. It's for each one of us, for the entire world. So Easter is the day that we celebrate that, the resurrection of Jesus. Honestly, it is the central event of all history. Everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus, towards the Messiah, towards the Savior, towards the coming. Everything in the New Testament points back towards the time of the Messiah, the the Savior. If you think of it as a, I've said this before, if you think of it as a figure eight, where the Old Testament is up here and everything is pointing towards Jesus, and the New Testament, not only the New Testament, but clear up until today, salvation, everything points back towards Christ. He's our hope. He's our deliverer. He's our Messiah. Everything in the New Testament points back towards that 
So the thing that kind of struck me this week as I was thinking about this and praying about it is we're living in such, it's just a crazy day. You, you got to admit, it's, it's just bizarre when you go out to Walmart and they say, don't bring kids. When you go to Menards and say, nobody under the age of 16 can come out to Menards. It, that's it's not bad if you're the one doing the shopping, but it's kind of crazy, you know. I mean, it, it's, we've never lived through a time, most of us have never lived through a time like this. Um, there have been uncertain times. The Gulf War was an uncertain time. 9-11 was an uncertain time for most of us. Many of us remember that. I remember I was sitting in a pizza hut watching as these towers were coming down. Actually, it started while I was, I was working on a job putting in a windshield. I just, the lady, the, the secretary came out and said, they're, they're, they're bombing the United States. And I went from there, myself and several friends met at Pizza Hut, and we watched it on TV. We were seeing what was going on. It, that's the only event that has actually been on our soil um, un- until today. Many of you out there uh, experienced Vietnam. Uh, a few of you experienced World War II or Korea, different things like that. But since 9-11, this is the only thing that's really landed on our shores. And the thing that's different about it is, as you have conversations with people in the street, and we're a little bit uh, secluded from it just because we're in the center of the United States. It hasn't come in from the coast yet. It's working our way, its way in. But what you find is people losing hope. People are, are fearful. Uh, I just had a conversation the other day with a woman um, talking about the death of a friend. I said, how are you holding up? And she said, I'm, I'm doing fine with that. But the corona thing scares me. And I tried to speak some peace into her life, saying, you know, we don't, we don't have to be terrified by this. The reality is um, we have people around us who kind of like Israel, they're looking for a deliverer. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for salvation. They want to be saved from this thing. They're looking for hope. Now, it's, it's not the same. We're, we're not being held captive, and yet, at, at some level, we kind of are. At some level, we're not supposed to be within six feet of other people. At some level, there are all these new restrictions and limitations that are be, being put on us, and, and the... From what I understand, there are even more of those restrictions to come. But, but people are fearful, just like a, a physical captor. Here's, and, and the difference is, at least when it was, when it was uh, Vietnam, at least when it was the Gulf War, when it was 9-11, we had someone, something that we were focusing on. Here, it, it's a, some kind of a germ, some kind of a bug, some kind of a possibly, uh, you know, it, it, it's... It, we're afraid of this level of pandemic. We're afraid of fear itself. We have nothing, maybe even legitimately, that we can touch, so people are freaked out. But Jesus came, the Bible says, to give us peace. He came to give us joy. He came to give us life In the midst of all of these troubles, again, you go back to Psalm 91, a thousand shall fall at my hand, 10,000 at my right side. I mean, uh, uh, these things can drop away from the believers in such a way that we can have peace in the midst of all of it. So maybe we can give a few minutes this morning
to think about what we can do in this upcoming week or weeks or months to not only help ourselves, but to help others. And this week, to help ourselves prepare for Easter, prepare for resurrection. I shared little bits of this sermon before, but I really believe that it is, it's totally relevant for us again. So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, and I want you to think about the world around us today. Let's start with uh, Luke chapter 19 in verse 29. Scripture says, As he approached, as Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord has need of it. Uh, King James, I think it says, the master has need of it. Those who were sent ahead went and they found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, uh, its owner asked, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks or their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. Okay, now that's just a real quick, easy story. But again, we, we tend to read it like it's a play, like it's a drama, like everybody's got the script, right? We all know how this is going to go. But we don't. We don't know how this is going to go. The disciples don't know how this is going to go. So the first suggestion that I have is we kind of prepare our hearts for for resurrection, for celebrating that Easter. But not just that, as we move forward, is we need to do what Jesus tells us to do. So many times while we're praying or while we're thinking about somebody, we get this nudge, we get this, this hint, this, this thing in our spirit that tells us we should make this phone call or stop here, go there. Maybe it's go totally out of the way somewhere. And we don't do it. I mean, these two disciples, Jesus said, go to this little village, okay, it's presumed that they were six or seven miles away. So walk to Frazee. When you get to Frazee, you're going to find a colt, a donkey, tied in front of somebody's house. Go and untie it and bring it back. I don't know about you, but if I'm the disciples walking down the road, we're going to have some conversation. I mean, we're a few miles away. We're going to be What do you think? I mean, he told us to do this, but do you think he knows the master? Or do you think this, whoever we're, do you think they know about this? Has this been prearranged? I mean, what if the guy takes a swing at us? Maybe they're telling him each other, this is, maybe this is some kind of a test. I mean, like maybe Jesus is just trying to see if we're, because they still don't know he's going to get crucified. They don't know that he's going into town riding this donkey. They don't even recognize the fact that these are Old Testament scriptures. And the reality was they would have been living in the Old Testament at this time. They don't understand that this is a fulfillment of those scriptures. They got to ask each other, do you think think this dude's really going to let us? I mean, if somebody comes out, you think they're really going to let us take their colt? I mean, this thing is valuable in this day. Jesus just simply told them to go and to do this. And again, from what we read in the Gospels, the disciples still didn't understand what was going on. So they went to the street. There they found the colt tied at a doorway. They untied it. 
people standing there asking them, well, what are you doing? And they answered exactly the way Jesus told them to, and apparently they let it go. How many, see, I feel like I need to come out there. I gotta get closer to y'all. How many times has Jesus spoke something to our heart in a time of prayer? It, it, it lines up, maybe it lines up, it, it needs to line up with the word. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to care for one another. We're supposed to love one another. Maybe we don't see in scripture, call one another, but maybe that's what God is putting on your heart. Call one another, pray for one another, reach out to somebody, extend a hand. People are fearful. You have the opportunity to speak life. If God puts that in your path in the upcoming weeks, do it. Do what he says to do. Well, pastor, what happens if it doesn't turn out so good? Lots of the disciples ended up doing things that Jesus told them to do, and it didn't end up so good. Jesus followed the Father's words, word for word, and it got him crucified. But it brought life. Overall, this is a good model for each one of us as we move forward in our life is to do what we feel like the Lord is calling us to do. Sometimes it's difficult. I'm pretty sure your obedience will have nothing to do with a donkey. Maybe it will. I don't know. Is he calling us to repent and to find faith? Is he calling us to, to be faithful Is he calling us just to be a friend to somebody who needs a friend? In the last week, I've had plenty of things going on, lots of things even around the church. But I feel like there have been times when God's called me to just be a friend and stop by and have a conversation with somebody. And that's not just a pastor's job. That's each one of us as believers. What's God calling us to do? Are we reaching out? Is it to help somebody? Is it to say something? Is it Maybe it's to, to say nothing but just be there for somebody. I can't tell you what it is, but I can say with confidence, whatever God speaks for you to do, tells you to do, if you do it in confidence and boldness, it's going to have an effect on the person that it's supposed to because here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's been out there preparing somebody's heart this whole time, preparing them for a word, preparing for an encouragement. Maybe it's preparing them for a rebuke. Maybe it's preparing for an admonition. But as we walk in that truth, maybe you've got somebody that you know is, is, is totally amped up and fearful about what's going on around us. You have the opportunity to speak peace into that situation. These disciples did something that was so far out of the realm. I, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine walking over to a neighbor and seeing a, you know, a bicycle and, and go over and I'm gonna, just going to pull the bicycle off the rack. What are you doing? Ah, the Lord told me to come and get it. He needs it. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be... Don't go getting accused of stealing bikes now. I'm not saying that. But are we willing to involve ourselves? So one of the ways to prepare ourselves is simply to do what he says. Maybe, maybe he'll tell you that it's time to pray. You need to sequester yourself. Maybe you need to fast. 
Maybe you need to be continually reaching out to somebody. The next one's a little bit more difficult for me personally. Starting in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Okay, get that. He's talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to the city, and he says, if you knew what would bring you peace, he was referring to himself, but he said, even now it's hidden from your eyes. How many of your friends and neighbors need peace, but it's hidden from them? They're looking for peace. They're looking for deliverance. They're looking for hope some other way. One of the first things you do is tell them to shut off the TV because that's not going to give them hope, unless they're watching this, of course. Then, then they've got hope. Shut off the news. Two laughs, okay? In a congregation of six, seven, seven, I got two laughs out of that joke. That was good. Jesus goes on and he says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and they will encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Something happened on this ride into Jerusalem that we don't talk about too often. In fact, you can read this story for years and not get this point. But leading into this, this triumphal entry, there's a time when Jesus feels the pain of the city. Luke is the only gospel writer who records this event. But as Jesus approaches the city, he weeps over Jerusalem. That work Word in the Greek is actually, trans, that the word that's translated wept in our Bibles signifies more than just tears. It wasn't that he just got choked up. It's that soul-wracking, gut-wrenching sobbing that a person does when they're standing by the grave of a friend. It, it's that thing that, that just grabs you in, in the guts and you just, you can't get past it. You just, you sob and you sob. Jesus wept for the people of Jerusalem, not for himself, not because of the cross, not because of the fate that's going to come on him, but because of the fate that's going to come on the city. Everyone else was kind of living life. They're, they're, they're just taking it easy. They're, 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 but Jesus is filled. Even the, the disciples that are with him don't understand what's going on, and he's, he's, he's sobbing because he feels compassion What's going to happen to these folks? And, and here's what I think of. I, I think we get frustrated with people who are fearful, maybe about the days that we're living in. They're, they're, you know, I told this a couple weeks ago. I went to shake a lady's hand, and she almost fell over backwards. She was trying to get away from me. because I can't shake hands. And in the midst of all of that, I had to catch her. So it was worse. Instead of just hanging on and hanging, reaching her hand, giving out and shaking her hand, now I basically got to hug her to get her to stand back up because she fell over. And, and I want to get kind of frustrated with that. But what Jesus is saying is start to feel empathy for folks. There are people that are truly functioning in, in fear here. And we want to blow it off and just go on with our day and say, let's, let's get this thing over with. But Jesus wept violently 
So kind of that true confessions of a pastor time. I understand in my head that there are people that need to shelter in place that are afraid. I get it in my mind. There are people that don't want to go out in public. You watch the news and it just incites so much fear. But I honestly, I find in my world, I'm virtually unscathed. There's some inconveniences, but without that fear that's gripping us, my life is basically normal. Um, at some points, I kind of forget. I'm just going through the day, doing the things. But that's available for us. At the same time, I have to remind myself there are people that are, that are walking in terror. And I need to do what I can do to comfort them. If I can't comfort them, the least I can do is to pray for them. Each one of us. There's someone that we can reach out, somebody that we know that is walking in this. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This was when I first became a Christian. Year after year, this was the, the verse that spoke to me the loudest. Paul had been talking about being an apostle and the fact that he never claimed his rights as an apostle. See, he never said, you have to pay me, you have to do this, you have to do that. Uh, not only did he, he, he not claim them, well, because he didn't claim those rights, he never abused them. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jew, I became as the Jew, that I might gain the Jew. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but understanding the law of Christ, I, that I might gain them that are without the law. He, he's talking about people here that, so he said, if you're, if you're a Jew, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to honor you as a Jew. I'm going to try and feel that so that I can gain you for Christ. For those who are under all the rules and regulations, I'm going to do what I can to, to, to be like you, to reach you, to have empathy for you. For those who are outside of the law, I, I'm going to try and feel your pain. I'm not going to go out drinking with you. I'm not going to go out partying with you. I'm not going to live there. That, that's what he says, not being without law to Christ. He's saying, I, I still need to be doing what God would have me to do. But I'm going to do everything I can to reach out and to gain those folks that are lost. To the weak, I become as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And he goes on and he says, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. I'm going to do this for the sake of the good news, not because of me, not because I'm trying to build my reputation, not because I'm trying to be anybody or go anywhere or do anything, but just because I love you for the gospel, because I know that Jesus Christ paid the price for people who are walking around with masks on that are fearful. He paid the price for them. It's another good model for us to follow, not only this week, but every week. I could do no better to prepare my heart for the, for the resurrection of Jesus, for, for celebrating Easter, than to let myself feel what Jesus feels, to let my heart 
be broken for those who are hurting and those who are wandering and those who are searching. We haven't experienced the, the chaos and the meltdown that they have in other parts of the country. And I can't tell you who that person is that's struggling in your life, but God knows. And you may too. It might be a neighbor, it might be a colleague, it might be a roommate, it might be a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, it might be a close friend, close friend, it might be just a casual acquaintance. But Jesus wept. He wept for the city. And I can tell you, if you're willing to let yourself feel that compassion, um, it, it might change you. So one way to prepare for Easter is to do what he says. The second is to feel what he feels. The third thing that I want us to grab a hold of and the final suggestion is to declare who Jesus is. Matthew 21, starting in verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they asked, who is this? Okay, if the whole city is stirred, they're, not pro- they're probably not saying, who is this? Who is this guy? What's going on? Last night, okay, just a side note, sitting on the couch trying to take a little nap. Annette, Zoe, you're watching Fiddler on the Roof. That is not a movie to take a nap to. Every time you go, somebody's, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, ah. That's kind of the chaos that was going on here when Jesus, who is it? What's going on? How come, he, how come there's a party? Why is there this big parade? How come everybody's throwing their blankets and their, their, their coats in the street? What's going on? Who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Matthew says the city was stirred. The word that he uses is actually uh, seo, and it's where we get our word seismic from. So that same word is only used really in one other place that we, that we see where uh, Matthew mentions the moment when Jesus died and the, there was an earthquake and it ripped the temple veil, three foot thick, ripped that, split rocks in half, did all that. That's the only other place where we see this word mentioned. And here he's saying there's so much chaos when they declared the name of Jesus. And I think that's, I think that's part of it. I mean, not only do we do what he says... Not only do we try to feel what people are feeling, but then when we, when we declare who he is, why would you do this for me? Oh, you know, I just, just thinking about you, thought, thought maybe you needed a hand, you know, maybe, you know, get some groceries for you or do whatever. Tell the truth. Why would you do this for me? You know what? I really felt prompted of the Lord. And Jesus can bring you peace. Jesus can bring you protection. He can bring you health. He can bring you life. You know, I go to hospital rooms when, when someone's dying. I don't do that because I like to. I don't do that because it's just a great place to hang out. I do it to bring Christ. I do it to bring hope. I do it to bring peace. Somebody has to walk in that room with a boldness and a confidence. And it's not just that room. That's one example. I don't like doing uh, hospital visits at all in particular. But you know what? We go in and we bring Christ. We bring peace. There's something that we have to offer. You have that to offer every place you go. I don't care whether it's a car dealership. I don't care if you're walking into a parts store. I don't care if it's Menards. You go and you, you bring peace when you go in because he's the Prince of Peace. 
And when people are wondering, how could you do this for me? How could you walk? How, can, how come you're not fearful? Why don't you have this? Why, not? Why aren't you doing that? It's because we have hope. We have peace. Don't be afraid to declare that. Don't be afraid to tell people. They're already looking for some kind of hope. Tell them what they're looking for. They might not understand it. Even, there are a number of people, you, you read the statistics, how many people have never come inside of a church before, and yet when you're talking to people, you know people are talking about God. They're talk, why, would, you know, why would God let this happen? Maybe it's to get you to the cross. Maybe it's to draw your heart in. Scripture tells us in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all men. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. There's going to be truth. God's going to pour out his... We haven't even begun to experience the crazy yet, folks. I mean, this is a goofy time. But according to the word, there's more of it to come. Wars, rumors of wars. I believe God's doing something in our world. And he's doing it to call people personally and corporately to him. And you and I, as believers, have the opportunity to be part of it, to celebrate it. We know the end of the story. You know, the disciples didn't know the end of the story, but we read the rest of the gospel. We know that Jesus was crucified. Can you imagine what they felt then, the terror that they felt then? And yet we read that Jesus rose back, came back from the grave. He rose from the dead. People look at the chaos around them right now and they think it's the end of the world. I, man alive. There are some videos you just should not be watching on YouTube. People talking about, don't, don't buy the hype. Don't buy the chaos. Don't, don't, don't play into Don't let that thing grab fear. Thessalonians, Paul talking, about, talking to the Thessalonian church about, uh, uh, about the rapture and about the Antichrist and about the end times, about the last days, talking about all that stuff in the book of Thessalonians. And he says, I, I, I tell you all of this so that you can have peace. I tell you all this so you can have joy. We're, we're freaked out because they're closing schools for the rest of the, the season maybe. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We're, we're freaked out because we can't go to here and there. We can't do that because there's shortages on toilet paper. Don't freak out. Jesus said, I'm telling you all these things so that you can have peace. I have already overcome the world. He has already overcome the world. He has already overcome this coronavirus. This didn't catch God off guard. Scripture says he'll use all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you love God, if you've made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior, you said, you know what, I believe in him, then he'll use this for good in your life. But we have to obey him. We have to feel what he's feeling. We have, to, we have to walk in empathy. And we have to certainly declare the truth. We have to declare who he is. I think that's all just a precursor to where we're going as a nation and as a people. You know, here's the truth. Man, I want to walk out here. Here's the truth. You all get it. Here's the truth. You look at the way that we've, we've lived in our world you look at the way we've walked away from God. I'm not going to go off and, and preach all doom and gloom, but man, man, we deserve stuff like this. We're not, we're not honoring God in our daily life. We, we need to get back to that. We need to honor God in the things that we do. We deserve worse than this. 
We don't deserve peace. As a nation, we've walked away from peace. As a nation, we've walked away from God. As a nation, you know, Zoe sent me a thing the other day and said the good part about the coronavirus is, is if the abortion clinics are closed, that's already saved more lives in 14 days than what would have been given over to human sacrifice that way. Folks, we've not been a God-honoring people. And here we have the opportunity to come back to him. We have the opportunity as believers to say, you know what, we want to get right. We want to dispense Christ to our neighborhoods, to our friends, our family. They're not willing to, to hear it. That's not your problem. That's between them and God. But God calls us to share. He calls us to be light in a dark place. He calls us to be hope dispensers. He calls us to reach out, to love one another, care for one another. He calls us to do that. So as we close, if you feel God prompting you in any of those ways, and I know there are those of you who have done it. I've, I've had uh, people come to the church and say, you know, here's my offering. Here's a couple extra bucks if you know somebody who has a need. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that because there are people around that do. So I know there are those of you who are listening and hearing, and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful. Keep up the good work. I know there are those of you who are making phone calls to people who are shut in. Keep up the good work. I know there are those of you who are being the church. Keep up the good work. That's what we need to do. We need to be light in this time. We need to be hope in this time. And I think it's going to be an absolute honor to our Lord when we do that, when we become hope like he is hope. We become Christ to the world around us. Amen? Let's just close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for each person who is giving by coming in and helping us put this service together, put this video out. At the same time, God, I pray for people who are, who are away from the church. They're separated. Lord, I just ask that you'd be their Prince of Peace. God, that you'd guide them in hope and truth. And Lord, that you'd speak to each one of us. You'd give us a task to do, something that we can, we can do. Maybe it's going to be a stretch for us, but a way that we can reach out to somebody around us who has a need, a way that we can reach out. God, would you point that person out to us that you have already prepared your spirit, by your spirit, you've already prepared them to receive. Lord, I believe in these last days, you're calling people to the cross. You're calling people to the cross. There are people that are, that are racked with fear. God, and you're calling us to, to, to give light and life and hope. Point us in the right direction, God. And then I pray that we'd be listeners, that we would actually do what it is you're calling us to do and reach out to those folks around us that need it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and have a great day. And again, uh, look, for, look at Facebook, check out the church website. We'll be posting what we're going to do for Good Friday, uh, but our Sunday morning service next week will be in the parking lot unless it is pouring or snowing. You know. uh, but unless that's the case, even if it's a little chilly, uh, we will be having church uh, drive-in style out in the parking lot. Come and just be a part of that. Thanks. God bless you, and have a great day. Bye.